July 23rd, 1995. A pair of amateur astrologists, Alan Hale and Thomas Bob, made the discovery of a comet traveling somewhere between Jupiter and Saturn, marking the furthest spotting of a comet at the time. Now named Hale-Bob, the comet ranged in on around six times the size of the much more renowned Halley's Comet. Any bystander may take a few minutes to reflect upon such an encounter, but what makes this any deeper of an experience? Remnants of the past live through the genealogical connections we hold with our ancestors, dwindling to something as insignificant as a furrowed brow. As the universe ages, we follow, dispensing the DNA of its creation through these celestial bodies known to the ancient Greeks as Comites, or long-haired star. These are the earliest ancestors to life on Earth, and under a certain perspective, appear as deities. Pondering upon these patterns can be woven into further expanding ideas that perhaps other signs of life have coincided with the appearances of comets and asteroids. April 20th, 1996. The National Astronomical Observatory of Japan noted a small bright object underneath Hale-Bob with a dark funnel that trailed behind, seemingly interlinked. November 14th, 1996. Chuck Schramick detects a Saturn-like object trailing behind Hale-Bopp at his amateur observation site in Houston. Art Bell gave credence to Schramick's discoveries through his syndicated radio show, Coast to Coast. Bell had a similar place on the airwaves as a podcast icon of today, where the more countercultural and supernatural aspects of life were encouraged. The two were quickly debunked with more professional captures of the situation and a bit of lens cleaning. What was described as a Saturn-like object was more of a distorted star behind Hale-Bob at the time of capture. As the Ides of the multiverse often tell, the airwaves may have been a functional connection point for a radical Christian group that for decades has been searching for their exit plan, their path to spiritual ascension, a path that was possibly even foretold of in the Bible. Marshall Applewhite led a coerced group of followers to the ultimate conviction the path to heaven was on that spaceship following Hale-Bob, and there's only one way left to get there. We really couldn't wait to do this. This is the opener that we were waiting to dive into. It's our first mini-series about infamous cults throughout history. We've had a lot of study up to this. What we're really fixating on today is Heaven's Gate. The HBO documentary calls it the Cult of Cults. Sure, I think so. We all know Jonestown definitely had more bodies involved. We know that things like the Illuminati and other like edge of society groups exist, but don't really exist. But nobody can really comment on that. Heaven's Gate interests me the most because this is a Christian group really gone wrong in a lot of ways. Like we see the extremes of Christianity and Christian ideas through like Mormonism and the Latter-day Saints, definitely communal mindsets, definitely just a shared broad way of thinking and reserving yourselves with others. And it, I mean, it makes that sense of community because you're all going through something, but the backbones and morals are really being twisted in a lot of these situations. 
Heaven's Gate is one of them for sure. I mean, when you're ending up with your main group of followers all committing an act of suicide together, I'd say you're probably at a radical stage. That's interesting as well, because I was wondering, like my main question for you to start it off with uh, about your research was tea and dough, where this all started for them. I think this really all started back when Doe, Marshall, and he got divorced and it kind of really chipped at him and a nurse that he knew of because he had a heart attack and met her in the hospital. She like instantly was connected with him and she was convinced that they were prophets, that they had been linked together for a reason to be together and to give this word to people that life on earth is, is behind the next level. Now it's strange that they, to me that they call this the next level. It's such a broad term, such a broad, weird term. So I guess that's why they called this the cult of cults because it's just such, they have such clear changes of definitions for things. You know what I mean? The next level, like that's so vague, but so like spot on at the same time, you know, ascending to the next level means to literally go to heaven in a spaceship that takes you to the other plane. But you have to evolve yourself into an alien type outside of the human body to reach this. So she, I mean, I'm certain that they weren't as advanced in things, but they definitely started off by saying we are prophesized to do something bigger here. It comes from them thinking that they are the chosen prophets from the end of the Bible, Enoch and Elijah from Revelations. They think they're like the embodiment of them. Yeah. They think that they are the reborn ones as them. Wow. These are the two people that went to heaven without dying. Enoch is described as the man who walked with God for 300 years. And that's why they believe that they can take their followers to heaven because they think they have that same power that Enoch and Elijah did. And how wild is that? All of a sudden that name is back in hubris again, Enoch. Yeah. When you're looking at their followers, what type of people are, are, are they gathering here? Broken people. Right. Spiritually broken people, people that are at their wits end and willing to accept a literal human person saying that they are a savior. They believed that T and Dell were the ones to lead us and that, for a long time, their mission was to make people convert with them, to follow behind them, to change their ways and revert the ways, you know, like what it always is, that society is headed in a complete downward spiral and that everything is going wrong and that this is going to turn into hell on earth and you need to come with us because we only know the way to heaven and the way to spiritual peacefulness and that kind of stuff. So that's what they're preaching to these people who are already... Like I told you before, like the mom and daughter that were on the HBO documentary, they said that they would sit together on a ridge and look at the sky and her mom would say, sometimes I just wish a UFO would come by and pick us up. And it's like, how despondent were these people? She lost her mother and then went right to the group and she's completely zoned in. Right. She's at a point in her life where she feels lost and dejected and like no one understands her. And then if nothing else, maybe they pull back to a bit of nostalgia and the fact that they're preaching there is a rocket ship right to heaven. Exactly. She had already shared that sentiment once in her life. So exactly uh, the factor of nostalgia there and just holding on to that that belief. 
definitely spiritually broken. Those are the type of people you see joining these, these groups. Mostly. Yeah. And what's surprising too, is that some of these people are also still just quietly spiritually broken, but still successful at life in different ways, abandoned their families. They would abandon their families and children and just leave it all behind to follow this group. And the strange thing to me was, we all know it ends in the house. But these people were nomads. They followed a nomad lifestyle. They didn't live in one place for too long. They never had any credit cards. Although there was some sketchiness near the beginning of their reign because they had one follower and then Marshall kind of stole her credit cards and paid for some rental cars and stuff like that and then stole a rental rental car and like, you know, just some sketchy shit. These people aren't the moral obviously not of the moral high ground at all that they preach that they paint themselves as you're taking somebody for granted there that you are taking on as a follower. Right. And now, and I'm pretty sure she cut ties with the group because she too was under investigation because her card was being used fraudulently almost to her knowledge. Right. There was a bit of sketchiness there. And this is like, yeah, this was near the beginning of them. You know, it's stuff like that where you're like, Oh yeah, he's a cult leader. But the thing was, is that, Marshall was well-versed in performance and music. I believe he went to college to study music. Okay. And was a performer of sorts. So when people, and especially in the HBO documentary, when people would watch their performances where they would try to attract followers, they said that there was like a mist or a smoke that like emanated from them when they spoke and like went out into the crowd. For some reason, people were just completely hypnotized. Wow. By them. Right. And I don't know if there's like something that they were pumping into that room, Mm -hmm. which would be really, really odd in itself. I don't know if there's a punch that they pass around before that has just a teach of something in it. You know what I mean? Like they might have a little bit of lysergic acid (laughs) in there for sure. It's interesting that you said that he had a background in, you know, like the music and being a performer because of part two, when we look at Zendik Farms, Wolf Zendik was an artist. He was a, he was a musician. It's just another, another avenue for their, their creativity to come out. Unfortunately, a negative one. I want to kind of consider though, like the people's point of view that are joining these things. There's got to be some positive aspect. I think it's the communal life just feeding off of a combined energy altogether. I mean, they all, at the end, they all lived in this house together. They were going on these trips. By this time, T had died. She died in 1986. So the group lived on for 12 more years under just Doe. Oh, so when they ended it all, she had no... She was far removed from the situation. Wow. And there was speculation that he had cancer and that he was prepared to die anyways and basically told everybody like, hey, it's time. They said that this was a discussion that like obviously a long and hard discussion that they had and that they got emotional and everything. And over time, people just began to accept it. And they went on this really surreal like trail of enjoyment before they were so deprived of themselves. Like they weren't even allowed to have jobs and they also castrated themselves late in life. Whoa. So that was weird too. Like the men castrated themselves. Right. And they actually, in one situation, there was a nurse that was a part of Heaven's Gate and they were like, hey, you're a nurse. You can oversee us doing this and uh, you'll be able to stop any kind of, uh, (laughs) you know, trouble happening. And one of them got admitted to the hospital. And I think one of them quit because of that. But they ended up that nurse quit the group as well because these people were trying to castrate themselves in order to free themselves, you know, of temptation. They wanted to be that spiritually just sanguine. At that point, you're ultimately mentally ill. Oh, exactly. That's yeah. it. Yeah. At that point, it's just pure mental illness. 
Well, they went on this weird trail of like, they went to SeaWorld and then they went to like Las Vegas for like a week. They went to Tijuana, Mexico too. Like they just went up and around on these vacation spots. They went up to this place in Oregon, which is actually, it's called Gold Beach, Oregon. This is where T and Doe went on their spiritual journey and saw a comet, another comet called Comet Kohotek. Okay. So this is one that happened back in 1973. So basically what they had thought was this was the comet that God sent back in biblical times to Enoch and Elijah that signified them that they were the two chosen ones. They believed that they had re, re-experienced the cyclical signal. Like God sent it again to signify to them that this is who you are. You are Enoch and Elijah. Correct? Yes. Wow. So they, they found that out in the woods. Definitely probably on some spiritual enhancers. Yeah. And there's no way. There's no way that wasn't happening. And unless, also, unless they're paranoid schizophrenics. Unless they are that. Unless, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, this comic Kohotek was their signal back in the day. So this is where they decided, you know what? We are these people. And we're going to start this group. So this is what kind of kicked it all off was this comment here. And this is who they believe they were, Enoch and Elijah. Two biblical figures. Elijah being one of the most powerful prophets in the Bible, allegedly. Who knows what that means? So then again, this is their house here. I mean, this is something, a place that they lived in the past few months of their lives. But this was, I believe this was also the spot of their Christmas party. This is a group that never had parties together, but they had one last Christmas party together where it was like super lively. And that was part of what you said they were going on their stream of... Yeah. Yeah, this happened in December and they all off themselves in March. So this was just a precursor to all of that. And there was some video of that in the HBO documentary. And it's just so like, oh, just so in your gut because you know all these people are going to systematically kill themselves. Right. And it's, it's very, very surreal. So there was a strange stretch of time where near the end, Heaven's Gate, they started to get paranoid. 1995, when all this really started to surface with them, you know, joining the comet and doing what they did. The Branch Davidians, I think is how you say it. Yep. That situation happened in 1992. The Waco situation. Exactly. The Waco situation. Marshall Applewhite actually commended the leader of that group. He basically said that they were forthright in their beliefs and almost like this weird like network of like cults. Like they were just like, you know what? Yeah, that guy's doing great too. He's like, we know he has a different sect of beliefs and that they're doing their own thing, but we respect it. Well, I mean, he was kind of preaching similar thing to, he was saying like, I mean, they're talking about like moving to the next level. He was preaching about how like the sixth seal had opened and oh, revelations was that's upon them. wild. Yeah. So, I mean, similar concepts in a way when you really break it down. They're all apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. All of them are apocalyptic. They're preaching that doom and gloom. Exactly. So basically Marshall Applewhite was extremely paranoid at this time in his life. And fearing that the government was going to basically collapse in on them. And it ends in bloodshed. To where, I mean, nothing really seemed extremist about their group to this extent. Because it seemed like they were just going around being weird members of society. So I don't know why he was all that worried. But there was a period of time that they were trying to stockpile guns. But then they just abandoned it. So then when Hale-Bopp was close in 1995... They started to give some public backlash to NASA, which got attached to other people as well. These, these UFO theorists that were in the 90s that were ju- you know, just at the beginning of like starting to begin these conversations. They basically all latched in together in this weird combination of groups 
to put pressure on NASA to use the Hubble telescope to observe Hale-Bopp while it was close. And NASA, now this is the strange part, NASA was playing it really close to the chest with Hale-Bopp. And nobody really understood why. The claims that they were making against NASA were that NASA was not using its technology to its full capabilities to study this and show us what we want to see. So they just coming out with inflammatory accusations on them. Exactly. But NASA comes back and they're like, look, if we tried to observe Hale-Bopp at that specific time, the sun would have burned up the telescope because of how close it was to the path of the sun. Like the imagery wouldn't have been effective. Right, exactly. So they say that the imagery wouldn't have been effective and that they had already uploaded so many thousands of images to the NASA website of Hale-Bopp they weren't really sure why they had to continue. They're like, there's already a wealth of... 4,500 images of Hale-Bopp from not just Hubble, but other minor telescopes as well. So... But at that same breath, though, why not? Exactly. That's the thing. That's If the there's thing. nothing to hide, why not show them? But is that having a, just a, you know, skeptic state of mind, or is NASA being reasonable here? Or... Do you just simply not do that to not bend to the will of a radical Christian group? And there, right, really, exactly. and there really is nothing there to hide, but you just simply don't bend to the will of... People that. kept pushing for this, and then the Heaven's Gate exit happened, and somebody else pushed on NASA and said, why aren't you showing us this? We know that if you show us, we will see them entering that spacecraft, which was wild to me. So they had some followers out there that weren't really fully in, maybe. But they, they wanted NASA to use Hubble to zone in to see if we could see the spacecraft being entered by them, which is just a wild thought to me. For them all of a sudden to just appear in space near this thing and then board the spacecraft. What if, okay? What if is the biggest part because you know that we want to talk aliens. We want to talk UFOs. We have another little piece here that we're going to go over about some oddly significant and or repeating behaviors that have been discovered. Personally, I don't think that this comet was followed by a UFO. Right. I just, that seems so strange to me, but it's also like, could that be the perfect cover for something? Wanting to observe Earth. Yeah, I think theoretically, it could be onto something there in terms of if, if there was like a species, an alien species that was coming to visit and they were trying to mask themselves. But what we know of UAP, what they call them now, what we know about it that is public is that these things appear and reappear and, and move faster than yes. Make no sense. Yeah. So they completely defy all logic of uh, propulsion systems, et cetera. I didn't, I'm not sure that they would need a comet to, to disguise themselves. Exactly. Yeah. They would have the perfect camouflage already. Right. And we have plenty of footage of them now, not hiding behind comets. So I just, but this is also the nineties. So this is an earlier, but we're talking about advanced species here. We're also talking about things that may not experience time in the same way that we do as well. Right. Right. That's true. So the big question here is the UFO theorists are definitely going out on a limb here because basically every little document of evidence that was shown to have UFO evidence was proof false. Right. And this was just a significant comet. This was a comet that was six times as bright as, as Halley's comet. So I mean... That's something. It's something to behold. It was something that could be seen in the night sky for 18 months as it passed. Which is just easier for TNDO to 
exaggerate because they're, you know what I mean? They're saying that this is the brightest one. This is, this is the one, this is the impact. So there's a guy named Avi Loeb. He is a person of moderate importance being the head of astrophysics at Harvard University. So this is somebody that is definitely well accredited in his field. But Avi Loeb and his team were observing this part of the sky where they were lucky enough to see a cigar or pancake shaped object flying through the air. And artists depictions of this make it seem like it is some sort of rock or like long formation here. Like tubular. Yeah. Avi Loeb and his team saw this in the sky one night. And of course, not at peak focus. They only saw it as it was last able to be seen flying through the sky. So they just a glimpse, just a glimpse. So what we saw here was a cylindrical like object going through space around the orbit of the sun. The orbit of the sun has so much gravity within it that it's going to be able to pull things from far away in and it affects their path. So it may not suck it all the way in, but it definitely like moves it upon its path. This object resisted the gravity of the sun and moved away on its own propulsion. There was nothing behind it. Like many comets and pieces of asteroids, this would have something trailing behind it. We saw that, that white light that shows that ice is burning off of the comet at a high rate of speed, and that's what gives it that white glow. And then you have that one trail that comes up top. That's just another part of the friction of moving through the universe. So basically, it has those two telltale signs. And this was just an object with nothing behind it that was being propulsed away from the sun with no visible propulsion system. Turning on its axis every eight hours, precisely just turning. And when it turned, it turns with no resistance. The rotation is what gives it every eight hours. Exactly. That's what that's, that's proof right there. I feel. That's something strange. And it gives, makes my hands get sweaty because I'm like, where does your mind go to as soon as you hear something like that? David Fravor. David Fravor. When he saw the Tic Tac on earth and it was moving unobstructed through the air in those lateral movements. Jeremy Corbell was talking about that on the last uh, episode he did with Rogan, where he was talking about how that the Tic Tac thing intentionally rotated and, and faced Fravor and Fravor and Fravor's jet. So it's like these things are intentionally rotating, but why? So we saw something here that was having a similar sort of behavior I don't know why there wasn't many connections between that because that's where my mind first went. Long cylindrical object, no visible propulsion system going through the air, turning on an axis at specific intervals of time. That's something that is computed. Right. That is something that is programmed. That is something Absolutely. that is moving through space at an ideal rate or an ideal or functionalized rate. So that to me is chilling because, and this was the name of it, Avi Loeb gave to it was Omaoma. And this was found in 2018. How many times have you heard about this? This is my first time. So, I mean, this is just something to me that kind of proves that it wouldn't be going behind a comet. Right. It wouldn't be hiding. It would just be flying through space. If there's an alien spacecraft that's able to monitor Earth, if that's what it's even doing, monitor the solar system like this and take these 
jogs around the solar system with ease and move away from the most dense object in our solar system that pulls literally all of the rest of the planets in. It's just, it's head scratching because there's legitimate proof of it. And this is something that's been remarked and discussed by a high ranking and extremely educated individual. So this is something this is being recognized and I don't see a lot of contention against it. It's fascinating to think that to bring it back to T and Doe, they were able to basically get people to just defy logic. Yes. Yes. And defy what science was telling them. Like, I mean, to push back against NASA that much. I just, I don't understand it. They felt like we were understanding them. Right. They thought at one point their mission was to gain as many followers as possible. But near this death campaign that they were on, they were just like, screw it. We don't care about you people. You people are on the path of sinners and you don't want to be saved because we've done this for decades and nobody has followed us except for this small group. So we're the ones and you are not. Let me read one of the quotes here. We can't blame you for buying into Luciferian programs. What else has been available during these periods when no representative was present? Hmm. So basically, we don't blame you for finding solace in the evil things when there was no savior, when there was no savior around. Enter their, them as the saviors. I just find it so crazy that they found these people to be in that position, but then completely cut ties with their family and didn't even look back. What do you think is ultimately motivating T and Doe in this situation? And also at what point do you think, if at all, they knew they were lying? I think they were narcissistic psychopaths. Right. I think that they were completely infatuated and inundated with the idea that they are precursored saviors ordained by God by some miracle of observation. And now they have this control to try to change people before revelation. Right. Like the seven years of hell on earth or whatever that they talk about in the Bible. Yeah. I think these people were just having ego trip on being that spiritually relevant on being that figure in life. So I feel like their life was just a constant, like continual dosing of that feeling. And what time did they start to gain followers? Around the eighties. They, I mean, when you only have 39 people that are doing the exit plan, they really had a lot of people leave and cut ties because I believe they were taking money from people too, because they were able to go on these excursions and they bought property in New Mexico. And like, then they bought this or like rented that house that they all killed themselves in. I'm like, where's this money? It makes you wonder when you think about Charles Manson and the whole narrative behind him being connected to MK Ultra, which is in the book Chaos. What if, put your tinfoil hat on, it's possible that T and O were participants and... I feel like it would have had to have been T because she was the one that got him under the belt and then he basically just shot off. Right. He finally, he just fully submitted. What if, what if she was involved in trials done by MKUltra with the LSD? There has to be something because to be able to overtake people of any stature, especially people that were moderately successful too, in this sort of way, 
you have to have some sort of weird tap into mind control. Right. Like you have to have some weirdly natural understanding of hypnotism. And we know MK Ultra was doing that shit. It goes back to the NASA question. Why not? Why would they not do it? Why would they not see the lengths of psychological control that can be taken over people? Right. So they know how to use it themselves at a mass level. And look what it did for these small doses of groups under 50 people where complete chaos and usually they all die, which is just, I mean, it's just the tragic way to end it always. They usually end violently. Usually end violently, either carrying something out, carrying out a shared belief of extreme degree. So let's go and look at some of these pictures here. Now, this is the star of Bethlehem, which is prophesized to be, or not speculated to be a comet. It was speculated to be a comet that was seen back in the day. I mean, this is just an illustration here of what it may have looked like, but that kind of... So if you believe in the biblical story of the star of Bethlehem... It may just be a comet. Right. Because look how bright it is. And think about, there was no artificial light at all back then. So the sky would literally light up like that. Right. And what, what knowledge do they have other than to think that's just a star? Exactly. Or something like a deity something spiritual. I feel like innately people were just wanting to do that back then anyways, because what else would it be? There's no scientific founding back then except outside of maybe just a couple of things about living. Well, it was left up to imagination. And that's where the the interpretation of the Bible gets dicey because it's like, you got to understand these people were living in a time with none of the scientific knowledge and explanations for these things. So this is all based purely off of imagination. And then these words translate literally, and then it's interpreted literally when I don't think that's all was always the intention. And God knows what else is lost through the process of translation, et cetera. But it's just, it's interesting to, to consider that. It's just, it is interesting because you start to think like, I feel like I was reading somewhere else that there's a branch of Christianity that rejects the folklore and tales of the Bible and the actual events and holds them in a way where the religion just lives on and not that humanity ends and revives, you know, through the kingdom of heaven. It just, the religion just continues and that all of the legend was just legend. It's about, inner battle. It's about the inner battle between good and evil and moral practices, being able to keep a balanced head. It's about literally just trying to transform people from being not pillars of morality, obviously, to having standards and wanting families and, you know, the wholesome just life experiences. So, I mean, I feel like that, that gives me a lot of thought too, because I mean, you and I have always riffed back and forth, never on tape, but like, about how strange it is that there's no real psychological drug (laughs) edge to the Bible when there clearly is very thinly veiled. Yeah. When it's not, when it's not acknowledged, there is reason to believe that there was psychedelic usage in those times. I mean, the sacred mushroom and the cross is the book that dives into all of that and how, well, this is the uh, interpretation of the deep sea scrolls. It was the guy that actually translated the deep sea scrolls who wrote the book. He believes that all of what was in the Bible was actually completely misinterpreted and it all had to do with mushroom use. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. 
Oh, that's too much. And and there's clear. What's the, what's the Santa Claus mushroom? And that's what it is. Yeah, Anamita muscaria. Yeah, there's a lot of relations between that and the story of Santa Claus, and and just the idea of like a prophet. And this, it's it's crazy. It's a lot to dive Absolutely into. Absolutely wild. Yeah. So you have you have gotta that. find some. <laughs> right. So in all of these groups, you wonder how much that is influencing it. And again, relating right to like the MK Ultra idea that they were dosing these people. You just don't know. You really don't. So Heaven's Gate was weird and it's, I mean, obviously it was weird, but like it was really weird and it's countercultural ideas too. Because these people were also completely bought in that these spaceships looked like the spaceships in Star Trek. Hmm. They were just like, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's it. Like, this is what it looks like. And they regarded themselves as such because on one of the, they had these exit interviews, which are creepy as well, where they had each one of the members sat down and said a goodbye on video. And like one of them, her last words on the video were like, beam me up 29 or something like that. So like they all had this idea that it was going to be like Star Trek. They were all like really weirdly into this sci-fi lane of Christianity. They were Trekkies. (laughs) Yeah, Trekkies. Things like artificial intelligence were going to, intertwined with Jesus and like divine ideas of Christianity. Well, you know, I already don't like them then because I'm a Star Wars fan to the yes. day I die. So <laughs> they're just stuck up. Star Trek is extremely stuck up. So they were definitely pretentious. Yes. Very pretentious. I mean, these people were pretentious as well. They basically looked on common people and spat at them at the end of their lives. Right. They were just like, you people are misguided. So the way that they all exited dosed themselves with a healthy amount of phenobarbital and each took a shot. Barbiturates. Of Barbiturates, complete relaxers, shot of alcohol. And then they affixed plastic bags around their head and just suffocated, went to sleep, suffocated without realizing it. That's how they all went out. And that's why these images are so chilling because they all lay the same way. Cloak over top of them. And this was a process as well. They did not all do this simultaneously. They went in groups. Right. Three groups, the first group, and Marshall Applewhite was not one of the first group. Oh, of course not. He didn't go into the last. He was the last person to do it, I believe. Wow. And, well, no, he wasn't the last. He was among the last few people because there were two people that did not have the purple cloaks put over them. They probably did. They did him because he was covered up too. So, like, there's two others that were in the back room that were uncovered. But basically, yeah, they all waited for them to die and put this cloak over them. So they all saw each other kill themselves until the very last one. Wow. This is just a trip. And the... Can you imagine the trauma if you didn't die? So it says that everybody died that was at the mass suicide event. But two people, Wayne Cook and Chuck Humphrey, attempted a suicide in a hotel in a similar matter. So they were people on the outside of the group. They were like, oh, shit everybody off themselves. We need to do it now too. Maybe we can still yes, make it. Yes, exactly. And they went to a hotel and tried this, but Humphrey survived. Oh, Jesus. To really wrap things up here, I love diving into Heaven's Gate because it made me touch into some different things that I haven't really thought about myself for a while, which is exceptionally my old relationship with Christianity and how it used to make me feel. And I went down a couple deep rabbit holes here of some dark periods of my life where this was a little bit more of a presence to me. And I guess it's just the fascination that I've always had with revelation 
and how Heaven's Gate was always fixated on Revelation and how they were two important figures from Revelation and that it's the same old story across each amalgamation of people that calls themselves a cult, that the end times are coming and that things can't be fixed and that we all need to do something now because there's a spaceship (laughs) waiting on us to take us to heaven. But are you really the two prophets? Because the two prophets lived in fame or like respected territory because they went to heaven without dying. But now you're just like, nope, this can't be the way. And you just slipped away peacefully. Right. The prophets transcended. But they essentially sold it to their, to their followers by saying that Jesus died and was resurrected three days later. So this resurrection isn't going to happen for us on earth, though. It's going to happen for us in this spaceship to take us to heaven. Behind Hail Bob. To ride right through heaven's gate. So it's just chilling because these people were so happy, but clearly very depressed and very lost and very searching for something and just went down the ultimate toxic trail, which is you hitch on to two complete and total narcissists that are ready to end their life as long as you end yours. Haunting. Absolutely chilling. And, you know, out of all of this, the facts and everything and the things that they did and the fact that there's still a Heaven's Gate member out there that's running the website and still responding to emails after all this time is just a little chilling as well because there's still something shivering about that. It didn't completely end itself there. It's still like has its cosmic, you know, life. There's still that thought out there Mm -hmm. and there's still somebody responding as an active liaison to the organization. So that to me is just a little hereditary, like evil is within somewhere. Unnerving. It's fascinating because not only these people seem to live a life that most of us actually want, which is where we disconnect from the things that were evil to us and live in harmony together. And that's what they did. They lived in harmony together, even though it was completely hampering to one's personal needs and personal desires, just putting it all aside to live communally. It's all very strange, but apparently worth it. Maybe there was a spaceship. I'm clamoring on no, but I think we all want to think that out there especially Umama, <laughs> the, the goofiest name ever for the ser- some of the most serious evidence in the hubris out there of UAP findings. Many people get lost in desiring to know what is out there, what the next level is, as Tiendo would have put it. We hope that you remember us as we were and not how other people are going to try and tell you that we are. And one last thing we'd like to say is 39 to beam up. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>